Welcome to Two Idiots and a Dog, Idiots Unleashed. So today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. You're usually expecting a witty opening from us, but today we want to discuss something happening in media as we are a media podcast. Uh, unequivocally, Two Idiots and a Dog Media stands with both the SAG-AFTRA and the WGA strikes. Uh, as somebody who has admittedly a pipe dream of someday writing for Hollywood or writing to a larger audience. Writers deserve fair compensation, fair benefits, and fair representation, and deserve our respect and the respect of their so-called employers. Um, this goes doubly for SAG-AFTRA because, well... A lot of people think that the that SAG-AFTRA represents the big names, you know, your Chris Pratt, your Tom Holland, or, you know, the people like that. And yes, SAG-AFTRA does represent them, typically. But the strike isn't about them. They're still paid perfectly well. They are paid large sums of money for what they do. The SAG-AFTRA strike is about the extras, the small parts, the people who show up for you know a few days, a few weeks on a movie and get paid a reasonable wage for it. Unfortunately, these days, especially in Hollywood, that's not even a living wage most of the time. And the studios with both writers and actors are trying to find ways to replace them with, well, everyone's calling it AI, but it's actually machine learning algorithms. Yeah, they're, they're talking about replacing people with algorithmic generation. This is not AI. This is not true intelligence. This is just a predictive text system or predictive modeling system. It's not even thinking. And... They've actually done this once before, at least. Not quite to the extent they're trying today, but look up the guy who played, uh, is it Zardon from the original Power Rangers? Zordon. Zordon. I didn't watch Power Rangers, so I missed that boat. But for season one, he got paid $150 with no royalties, no residuals. He was in every single episode. He was kind of important. He's the one who who made them Rangers. So, yeah. One last note before we get into today's episode that I wanted to make on SAG-AFTRA. There's a statistic making the rounds, and I don't know how accurate it is, but the... So don't take it as mathematically accurate. Let's consider it a metaphor. You know the names of 2% of the members of SAG-AFTRA? Yeah. This strike is about the other 98%. Most of us do not know the names of almost anybody, comparatively speaking, in SAG-AFTRA. We know the big names, and you know some of us might have a friend or two that's in it, but we only know their name because we're friends with them. Your average person would not know them from anyone else. There are a whole lot of that guy actors, and then there's a whole lot of not even that guy actors. By which, of course, I mean that guy being, oh, hey, it's that guy. Like Mark Shepard. Yeah, Mark Shepard is... is He is the quintessential that guy. He just shows up in everything. For the longest time, John Melkovic. 
it was just a because he plays background supporting characters so well. He was just a that guy actor until he did it for so long and so well. He got a lot of recognition for it, like Mark Shepard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we should probably actually get into the point of this episode. Probably. So without further ado, I'm Grim. I think I'm Zolgar. And Kaiju is probably sulking because Grim closed his door. I'm a monster. Uh, just a quick warning. This is an uncensored podcast, so you may hear adult language or other content not suited for children, the workplace, church, or frankly, human consumption, uh, particularly on this topic. This week, our topic is, it's always been political. This was actually my idea for a topic. If you have an idea for a topic for us, you can always let us know on Discord or social media, but you can only vote in the topic poll, which didn't happen for this episode, on Discord. Now stand back. Because the idiots are about to be unleashed. So, it's always been political, right? Yeah. Which franchise? Yes, well, that was a great episode. Thanks for listening. See y'all next week. Uh, we have to actually do an episode, sir. <sighs> Says who? Says our production crew. Our production crew doesn't exist. I'm part of the production crew. I say we have to do an episode. Well, I'm part of the production crew, and I say we're good. Kaiju. Oh, oh, sure, sure. Yeah, sure. That's an unbiased vote. Yeah, fine. Two to one. We'll do the stupid... <laughs> <laughs> So what do we mean by it's always been political? Well, we're constantly hearing, especially in the last few years, the question of when did this property or when did comic books or when did movies get so political? Uh, a couple of the really big ones. I know you wanted to mention that, Grim. That is the quintessential question, by the way, that keeps making the rounds on the internet that sparked this episode is, when did so-and-so get political? Now, I personally see it with two franchises in particular, so I'm going to definitively answer this question for you right now, right here on the podcast. And the first question is, when did Star Trek get political? September 8th, 1966, motherfucker. So fucking political. And if you can't see that, get your eyes examined. For those that don't know, September 8th, 1966 is the premiere of Star Trek, the original series. And yes, it has been political since day one. It was the point of the entire thing. You push these ideas forward and then you couch them in sci-fi so that the censors don't quite completely shit themselves. Even the casting was political. The fact that they had a black woman as a member of the bridge crew of this top of the line paramilitary vessel. Don't forget, the guy driving the ship was Asian. The guy driving the ship was Asian. This was during pretty much the height of the Cold War. And you had a Russian on the bridge crew. Mm-hmm. And every single person on that bridge was a respected equal of the white man in charge. There were a few things here and there that were telling of the time, but for the most part, especially for the era, they were incredibly progressive with their casting and how they presented the crew. Yeah, because if you look at it from today's standards, you look at Uhura and by today's standards, please bear that in mind. She's a glorified secretary. 
but she was handling communications and basically the front line of the diplomatic team because she's the one who did the talking. Yeah. She was the one that anyone who called into the Enterprise talked to first. But, you know, this isn't necessarily about the franchises themselves. We're just bringing them up as examples. And I have one more big one that I need to touch on, and that is, when did Star Wars get so political? May 25th, 1977, motherfucker. That was the launch of A New Hope, by the way. Back then, it was just called Star Wars, of course. Yep. And Lucas himself has gone on record saying that Star Wars, while the aesthetics are very much inspired by World War II, the actual conflict in the Star Wars series, the original three at least, was more based off of, oh, I cannot remember if it was Korea or Vietnam. I believe Vietnam. And by the way, the Empire is America. Yeah. The the Empire is America in that instance. And the funny thing is, if you stop and look at it for a moment, really stop and look at it, the Empire is also America in World War II. Mm-hmm. So when did Star Wars get political? It's always been political. Like that's that's I, I know at this point it's starting to sound like a bit, but it's not a bit. And there's one other thing that often gets brought up in the question of when did this become so political? And that is comic books. And one of the more specific ones that gets mentioned is X-Men. And, well, uh, I think Grimm looked that up for me. All right, we'll do the bit again. When did X-Men become so political? September 1963, motherfucker. X-Men has always been political. That was the publication date of of issue one. And the mutants in X-Men were meant to be analogous of the other. I don't know if you could hear my finger quotes there, but at the time, it was predominantly people of color. But over time, it has evolved and They have stayed analogous of the other is just what the other is has changed. There's one more property, especially in comics, that you would think it would be obvious that it's always been political, but I keep seeing people miss it. So I I, I just want to bring it up. Which one's that? When did Captain America get political? December 20th, 1940, motherfucker. I recall right, wasn't he punching Hitler on that cover? He was indeed. I'm looking at the cover of Captain America Comics number one, uh, a reprint dated for March 1941 of of Captain America punching Hitler. By the way, the, a couple of Jewish guys made that. Go figure. It, that also kind of brings something up. That was done in 1940. Mm-hmm. And I'm not It's going to say that Hitler wasn't Hitler yet, but he was definitely Hitler. But that wasn't quite the point of shit going really bad. Or at least not that we knew. Yeah, not that we knew. Not that the American people would have been aware of. And if you want to know how political this was, Nazi supporters 
would go outside the office and demand to speak with the guy that drew that. And Jack Kirby would go kick their ass. As I recall, at nine times out of ten, he'd go down to kick their ass, and they would have already run away when they heard Jack was coming down. You know, because Stan Lee was a small, unassuming man. And from what I, everything I understand, he was the kind of person who pretty much couldn't fight his way out of a paper bag. Jack Kirby was the exact opposite. He was a scrappy man. And so, like, Stan Lee ran Marvel and everything, but Jack Kirby and Joe Simon did Captain America, so they'd show up to throw down and 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 start trouble and jack would be like you want trouble okay so yeah it's always been political the minute you're sitting there asking that question about captain america of all franchises you are just being willfully ignorant at that point you're even being willfully ignorant when you're asking when did comic books become so political when did sci-fi become so political it's always been political there are so many places in media, in our fictional media, that it is either overtly or subtly political or social commentary. You know, the big ones, of course, are the ones like Star Trek and Star Wars and X-Men and Captain America. But also, of course, you know, when you start looking at comic books, I think pretty much everything that fuck i forgot the guy who wrote v for vendetta's name alan moore alan moore illustrated by david lloyd just about everything that alan moore penned in comics is social and political commentary not just alan moore um while he made some questionable choices i am not going to be commenting on in this episode warren ellis yeah. I mean, Transmetropolitan is... Transmet shaped my political views for like a decade before they started evolving past that. But that was the that was the basis. That was the seed. That was the genesis of me looking around and realizing, we're all we got. And like I say, it is so many others that it's the same thing. Modern writers like Brian K. Vaughn, he's... Probably most known these days for writing Saga, which has its political tones. He also wrote the comic Ex Machina, which is so incredibly political. Comics have always been political. I mean, 1986, Art Spiegelman put out Mouse. God, talk about something that's political. And a rough read, a good read, but a rough read. I last read it way too long ago, and I really should fix that, but reread it at some point here. I need to get a copy for my collection. You do. You do. It's really good. It's, But it's, it is a prime example of using the medium of graphic novels to tell a serious and important story. And it is so beautifully and horrifically and tragically done. There are so many properties and stories and movies and television shows and animation projects that tell very serious 
stories and co- and and cover very serious topics that you don't stop and think about as being these heavy serious topics because they're couched in these entertaining terms and and characters but like the quintessential movie is that we think about for like you know animation okay the the the, the quint an animated movie doesn't matter which one but it almost certainly is going to include a character trying to figure out who they are and coming into their own by the end of that and for something aimed at children that is huge well you want to start talking about that <laughs> you want to look at a political animated movie zootopia yeah the entire plot centered around a group of people being othered and somebody setting that group up to look even worse in order to accumulate more power. Is this starting to sound familiar yet? Oh, but it's a silly uh, movie with cute animals in it. It's talking animals. It's fun. These concepts are being put together in a package that allows them to be brought forth to children. Not all of this media that's political is aimed at children, of course, but it's a great, fascinating thing to look at because even children's media is political. I, I think it has to be mentioned. I don't like doing it, but Harry Potter. Mm. Issues with mm. the author aside, mm. that entire story. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll just be quietly sick over here. It's fine. Don't worry. I, I get it. I get it. Go ahead. Go ahead. There is so much in that story that is political, that is telling kids to stand up for what is right even when their own governing bodies say, no, that's wrong. Which, in retrospect, is incredibly ironic, considering even putting aside the author and that whole mess, she failed us in the final chapters. Yeah. Because it was supposed to be... The whole theme running throughout it was, you know, fighting for what you believe in and... and knowing what you know is true in your heart, and then the book ends with them becoming their parents. Yeah. How do you miss the point of your own franchise that badly? Like, I I think we should drop off this subject, because otherwise we're going to start saying some very unkind things. And honestly, the less said about that franchise, the better. I agree. Okay, moving on. Well, my stomach resettles. Okay, here's, here's another question for you. When did sci-fi become so political? Yes. Science fiction has long been used as a political allegory. You take a modern topic, modern meaning it is a problem that is happening around you as you are living in the moment, right? And you put it in the, you basically create shadow puppets of the, the groups of people that are involved and the topic itself. And you put all this theater dressing around it so it doesn't look like it anymore, but it's still getting the message across of whatever it is you feel about that particular topic. One could argue that science fiction has been political since 1818, which is, of course, when Mary Shelley published Frankenstein. Frankenstein wasn't political. It was a story about a a mediocre man reaching beyond himself 
generating an ethical and moral quandary he was ill-equipped to handle and deal with, written by a woman. You trying to tell me that's not political? For the 1800s? Really? Come on. Like, that is a sure Jan meme moment if ever I've heard one. And of course, if you don't want to accept that, you could go with 1932 when Brave New World was published, which is a very political piece. Yeah. Some seriously fucked up stuff in that book, by the way. Great stuff, but fucked up. I mean, that was the point. The f- it being fucked up was the point before anybody comes for me. You could go with 1927 when the silent film Metropolis was released. Talk about a classic. Oh, that one is... I should rewatch that sometime. I, I watched that. That's another one that I kind of just consumed when I was too young to properly understand it because it, it was a classic and I must watch it. So science fiction has had political tones to it since the inception of what we consider science fiction. And the thing of it is, it's not just science fiction. It's fantasy. It's thriller mysteries. It's everything. It's always been political. And if you're sitting there looking at some piece of media that you really like and thinking, there's no way this is political, you might be right. But odds are, if you stop and look at it and step back for a moment, especially maybe you step back from the position you are in now and look at either the era it was released in or who created it, you're probably going to see some social and political commentary in there that for the time was very poignant. In the cartoons I watched growing up, Gargoyles had an entire episodes on that stuff. Rescue Rangers, Aladdin, and that's just all from this one company. Yeah. And, you know, you look at all of this media that people of our generation and the generation that followed us consumed growing up. The Star Wars, the Star Trek, the Gargoyles, all of these other properties that were so, how do I even put it, that were so filled with social commentary. And that social commentary basically could boil down to look out for your fellow man and don't be part of the greater machine that's trying to destroy us all. And is it any wonder why so many of us are not following in our parents' footsteps and getting so much more conservative as we get older? And maybe it's not the media we've consumed, but that certainly didn't hurt. Media has always been, and and in this instance, just to be clear, we're using media as a catch-all for books, comics, video games, music movies, television, all of it, right? Media has always been a way for us to tell stories and teach lessons. That's why it exists. Yeah, I mean, heck, how many songs are spreading political messages? There, There's a 
big controversy right now with a country singer and his song that you, you could practically rename it Sundown Town and it would make perfect sense. Yeah. Um, if you don't know what a Sundown Town is, Google it. Where, where did I get into that? <laughs> I don't quite feel like being that depressed right now. Yeah. I don't need the help. Thank you. <laughs> we have always been telling these stories and using these stories to teach lessons and instill values in the people around us. Even the great classic myths, the ancient stories of great heroes and look at the stories of various cultures you know, and, and the, the traits and actions that those stories are glorifying. Uh, the labors of Heracles, uh, the epic of Gilgamesh. Those myths and stories exist to extol the virtues that the cultures that generated them saw as being heroic and legendary. It's always been political. There's one more that I could do, but that would be a little spicy. Go for it. I mean, really spicy. Are you ready for this? Do it. Do it. Translating the Bible. <laughs> Welcome to politics, baby. And consider for just a moment that one of the most well-known versions of the Bible is the King James Version. And it has been definitively proven that he deliberately changed some words. Oh, they were mistranslated and if you can't hear those air quotes you're not listening for them uh, come on man some of those lines were just straight up changed to consolidate his power because you have to remember in his era the right to rule was divine mandate from god therefore using the holy bible to further consolidate that power made perfect sense it's always been political Every book, every song, every story, no matter what media it's presented in, politics has shaped it, guided it, and pushed it out into the world. Even the stories that don't have a political message in and of themselves, the stories that someone really did just sit down and write to make a fun or poignant or whatever the hell they're thinking, story. They are still shaped by the political views of the writer and the social and political landscape at the time it was written. Yes, that includes Dr. Seuss. Oh, Dr. Seuss was so fucking political. Dude. <laughs> we, we, we could probably do a documentary on that shit. We're not gonna because that's not the kind of channel we are. Also, we're not smart enough. Uh, okay, Kaiju could do a documentary on that. Kaiju would be like, is there balls in it? I mean, depending on which Dr. Seuss book, yeah, actually there are. And of course, that that does not mean that Dr. Seuss did not have some questionable content in some of his media. I mean, yeah, but who hasn't? Uh, it's not really media-related, but remind me to tell you about the origin of Kellogg's Cornflake sometime. Oh, I know it. Yeah, that guy was interesting. Hey, you should Google that. No, I'm not joking. 
Go ahead. Google the origin of Kellogg's Corn Flakes. We'll wait. So what is your stool like today? My God, it's the ghost of Kellogg. Come to our podcast. <laughs> Piss off, ghost. No, seriously, go look it up. It's fucked up. So fucked up. And, well, not as fucked up. I think it's pretty fucked up that we even had to do this episode. Yeah. It's willful ignorance at this point, and I know ultimately this podcast episode isn't going to do anything to counter it, but my God. Yeah, that is the unfortunate nature of just being a couple of idiots with microphones. I mean, it's worked out great for other people. That I won't name because they can afford better lawyers than us. <laughs> uh, like the one who claimed his crew forced him to go see Barbie. Oh, you saw that one, did you? So he could make a 45 minute video destroying the movie. Still not naming names. It's Barbie, man. It's Barbie. Like, we're not promoting it here or anything like that. Because like I said, we stand with the strike, but. Dude, you knew what you were getting into. Come on. Let's go back to the strike for just a moment here. Yeah. That's part of the reason we ended up doing this episode. Because, well, if you're not aware, the guilds have asked that media creators and influencers, I mean, I don't think we really quite qualify as influencers, but... By the terms they set out, no. However... They have asked that those people not do anything that could be construed as promoting current or past works that are covered by SAG-AFTRA or the WGA. So obviously that made things a little difficult for us because, well, we're a media podcast. We talk about movies a lot. We like movies. But... We wouldn't have those movies without the people who make them, now would we? Well, and then that also kind of leads into something else. It's always been political. This show, we have never once shied away from being political on this show. Eh, we kind of have, but not really, but kind of. We, we've shied away occasionally from letting our full political views show, but... I think this episode bears more than a few of them to the harsh light of day, however. Well, yeah, but I mean, considering we also did our queer representation in media episode. Yeah. <laughs> like I say, we have never really hidden the fact that we have very strongly held political views. And, well, that comes through in our media. And honestly, even a lot of the other podcasts that I listen to, even if they're not a political show, you can still hear it. You can still hear what their thoughts are on things just from the subtle commentary they make, the little jokes they make, these little details mm -hmm. that show that even the non-political podcasts have an influence from politics. I just have one final thing to say, and it won't surprise any of you when I say it because we've said it repeatedly, but I feel that I think it's the right final thought to close on. It's always been political. 
But when did Lord of the Rings get so political? You mean when it was written as an allegory of the horrors of World War One? <laughs> Try me, motherfuckers. Though, did you know that Tolkien actually denies that? Or denied that, I should say, because, well, he's not allowed to do it anymore. Yeah, but the dude was... It was shaped by the politics of his day. Whether he acknowledges it or not. Whether it was intentional or not. Yeah, exactly. That's it for this week. If you like what we do, please give us a like, follow, rating, all that nonsense on your favorite podcatcher. You can also support us on Patreon for special bonus content and episodes a week early, or tip us on Ko-fi. You can find those and our social media platforms and Discord server all in the show notes. Also, be sure to give our friends some love if we even bother putting a promo in this week. Immerse yourself in a new world every week as we discuss our favorite movies, video games, and TV shows. Hello, I'm Brandon. Hi, I'm Eric. And I am Dave. And we are the Nomads of Fantasy. Our high production show brings a unique level of immersion to each topic we cover with handcrafted soundscapes and music pulled straight from the world we're exploring. From sci-fi to international films, art house flicks to indie games, there is no universe that we call home. So find us at thenomadsoffantasy.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. Safe travels, nomads. Last but certainly not least, we want to give a quick shout out to all of our supporters on Patreon and Kofi, especially these idiots. That would be Random Warrior, Rain, and the perpetually banned Athen Mortis. Who has also always been political. So political. And still banned. You know what you did.